following program is intended for mature audiences. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Let's talk football. Let's talk football. One constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Been a lot of complaints already. Bad language, smoking grass. 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. What's up, everybody? Dan back. Another episode of The Intentional Foul. Whew, we got a lot to get to today. We got uh, week three recap in the NFL. Look at some week four matchups as well. Touch on the uh, the Badger game from the other day. A uh, little, little Badger basketball news as well. Um, talk MLB. Brewers going to the playoffs and kind of lay out the scenarios there. And then um, I guess something something happened in the NBA yesterday. I haven't really had a lot of time to check my phone, so I, I, I'm not sure. I might have to look into that before we, we get to the NBA part. But uh, let's get right into it. Week three, NFL. Um, let's start with the Packers. Packer fans, you never you never disappoint me. You guys are very very prone to overreacting to things that I don't think really mean that much. And I think I think this game uh, against New Orleans on Sunday the other day is is one of those games. Uh, so let's let's get into that. Packers uh, rally in the fourth quarter to beat New Orleans twenty to seventeen, doing so without Aaron Jones. Christian Watson, David Bakhtiari, and Jair Alexander. And uh, I did just see before uh, coming on here, the Packers have placed Bakhtiari on IR, so he's going to miss at least another four games. Um, I think Packer fans may want to just resolve themselves to to moving on from Bakhtiari. I think even if he does come back um, towards the end of this year, I think it's pretty clear that he, he's he's on his last leg and, and this may be about it for him. It, it's certainly it might be about it for him in Green Bay. Um, but let's get into the game. Um, Packers were were pretty bad for three quarters. Um, zero points at home through three quarters against a Saints team that's got a decent defense. I wouldn't call it an elite defense. Decent defense. Um, Jordan Love was not good. Um, missing on 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 several downfield throws. Um, the one that sticks out in my mind, I believe, was in the first half. He had the rookie tight end Musgrave on a seam route right down the middle. All he had to do was drop it in the bucket, and he and he overthrew him by about five yards. Um, you know, for for you Packer fans, that that's a layup um, for the last twenty five, thirty years with with Farvin Rogers throwing that pass. And you know, it, it is what it is. Loves it's only his third start. That's going to happen. We've we've talked about that, but um, you know. They've really had a tough time establishing AJ Dillon um, in the run game. You know, it's a lot of three yards and fall down with him. There's just there's not a lot of burst, and for as big a guy as he is, he doesn't really break a lot of tackles. So, you know that 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 certainly affected the passing game as well. But you know, home opener to be shut out uh, the first three full quarters of that game that that 
That's that's not good. Um, fortunately for the Packers, um, their defense did show. The Packer defense showed up. Rashawn Gary especially. I think he had three sacks. Um, and uh, they were able to get to Derek Carr. And, you know, when you get to Derek Carr repeatedly, um, he's going to get hurt. He's it's we've seen it throughout his career. We saw it on Sunday. He left with a left early in the third quarter with I think what it was an AC joint sprain in his in his shoulder something like that. Um, you know, and 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 obviously that completely changed the game. Um, the Saints had to go to Jameis Winston, who you know he's he's one of those guys that um, he's he's not good enough to win you any games, but he's not bad enough to be completely out of the league. So he just he just kind of hangs around. But he's not a he's not a good player. Um but then the fourth quarter, you know, the Packers they made a run. And um you know, they got a field goal, they were able to score a couple touchdowns. They went for a two-point conversion that at the time was you know, kind of head scratching, but it ended up paying off for them in the end um to to get that victory, but I've been a little bit puzzled at the reaction I've heard from a lot of Packer fans here the last couple days about this game. Um, Everybody's very, very excited about what they saw from Jordan Love in the fourth quarter, but nobody really wants to talk about what they saw from him in the first three quarters. Um, And listen, I I will give Love credit where credit's due. He played well in the fourth quarter. He did. He, He made some nice throws. Um, he had a couple of guys make plays for him. You know, I think it was uh, Reed with the diving catch um, on the sideline that was a huge play. Um, but this Packer offense, and, and I know you haven't had Aaron Jones except for the first game. You haven't had Watson all year, and you would think that that will improve the offense once those guys come back. But it's, you know, it hasn't been real pretty. And I just, you know, for for your sake, Packer fans, just in the words of your, your former quarterback, relax. Re- relax a little bit. Um, you beat an awful Bears team in week one. You lost to a not very good Atlanta team in week two that went on the road and played Detroit last week and was able to kick a whopping two field goals. You were down 17 to nothing to Derek Carr at halftime. And you were able to rally and beat Jameis Winston. I mean, you've beat Justin Fields and Jameis Winston, and you've lost to Desmond Ritter, and we're going to lose to Derek Carr. Um, I, You know, I'm not trying to throw water on all of your excitement, but, you know, kind of kind of wake me up when you when you've – played a team with a real quarterback and and maybe, you know, a complete team because you certainly have not seen that yet. Um, but tonight, it's Thursday. Packers play the Lions at home tonight. This is the best team that the Packers will have played to this point. This is the best quarterback they will have played to this point. And, you know, Goff is a is – a, he's solid. He's middle of the road. He's probably – somewhere between the 12th and 20th quarterback in the league, wherever you want to put him. Um, Lions have got some some weapons, so th- this, will, this will truly be the first test for the Packers 
Um, and and I think it's going to be very interesting. I I would imagine Aaron Jones will play. Haven't heard about Watson yet or Alexander. Um, so so we'll see how that goes. But you know, I and and listen. Anytime I say anything that's not, you know, shooting roses out of my ass about the Packers, you know, everybody wants to call me a hater. I'm just watching the games, and I'm just telling you what I see. And right now, I see a quarterback in Jordan Love who has the potential to be a pretty good player. Um, I'm not sure I see anything special out of him. And, you know... And by no fault of his and no fault of the Packers, they've played a cupcake schedule so far. They just have. Um, So as the season goes on, we start to see um, some better competition. We start to see some defensive coordinators adjusting to Jordan Love as they get more and more tape on him. Um, That's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the Packers are 2-1. and um, kind of where I thought they would be after three games. Honestly, I you know I didn't have exactly the wins correctly, but um, the the record is kind of kind of where I thought it would be. Um, I don't even really know what to say about the Bear game. There's really not there's really not much. You know, I was trying to make notes for this today before I came on. I just don't really have anything new to say about the Bears. I, I, I think everything that can be said about them, for the most part, has has been said. Um, you know, you you go to Kansas City. Everybody knew they were going to get their ass kicked. They did not disappoint. Uh, down thirty four to nothing at the half. The last about four or five minutes of the second quarter was some of the worst football I've ever seen a team play in the NFL. Um, you know, turnover, touchdown, turnover, touchdown, turnover, touchdown. This team is a is a complete debacle. Jordan uh, Justin Fields is a broken quarterback. He's he's broken. Um, you can tell he has zero trust in that offensive line. And you know what? Short of Patrick Mahomes, I'm not sure there's any quarterback in football that you could put behind the Bears' offensive line right now with the play calling that that is getting sent out there from Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator. I don't know anybody outside of Patrick Mahomes that could could succeed with this team. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously Jordan, Justin Fields is going to take the lion's share of the blame. And, you know, it, it always makes me think back to something Charles Barkley has said, you know, when when you're the man and you're making all the money and you're getting all the endorsements you get probably more credit than you deserve when the team wins and you get more blame than you deserve when the team loses and you know Jordan Love's not getting all the money yet or well probably ever but he's the quarterback and in the NFL the quarterback is the guy that other than outside of the coach that everybody is either patting on the back for how wonderful they are or they're pointing the finger at them for how shitty they are. And fair or not, that's just the way it is. And unfortunately for Fields, the O-line is a disaster. Um, Listen, the Packers are without Bakhtiari and without Eldon Jenkins, but that organization has proven over many, many years that 
they know how to plug and play guys on their line to at least get by. The Bears have shown no capabilities of doing that. They're already down two offensive linemen to start the season uh, and, and off of a line that was suspect anyway. You know, this isn't like coming into the season, everybody's like, well, the Bears have a top seven or eight offensive line in football. No, they had a bottom five offensive line coming into the year. And now you're taking now you've already got two starters on IR and a third one in Nate Davis who hasn't played since week one. And I don't know if he's playing this week or not. I haven't heard anything. Um he's Fields is also not getting any help from his skill position guys. The running game has been completely non existent. And Chase Claypool has been a bust. DJ Moore, nice player, but you know, he's dropping balls in the Kansas City game that he has to catch. Balls that this is why they went and got him, is to be able to make tough catches and make big plays. He's not helping him out. And then, obviously, the play calling has been atrocious. You know, a lot of um, listening to some some media out of Chicago, there's a lot of angst about not enough designed run calls for fields. And Okay, but you're not going to call... 12 rushing plays for him. You might call four or five, which is what they should be doing. Right now they're doing like one or two. I have a hard time believing that's really going to change the fortunes of this team in the short or the long term. Um, I, I, I just, unfortunately, I feel like this is it for Justin Fields in Chicago. Uh, five and I think like 25 as a starter. Uh, somebody would have to do the math on this, but off the top of my head, I can't ever remember a quarterback starting off his career with this little team success and then figuring it out, turning it around, and him and the team becoming really good. I I don't think I've ever seen it. You know, I mean, you've got cases like a, you know, like a Geno Smith where he started for the Jets, then they kind of fell out of love with him, then he bounced around, and then later in his career he pops up in Seattle and he's a pretty good player. You know, obviously everybody remembers the Kurt Warner story, but, you know, Kurt Warner didn't play early on. So that, that that's not a great comparison. But it's just hard to imagine after this season Justin Fields being given the opportunity to start anywhere. I, I just don't see it. Um, you know, Chicago is going to have two of the top four or five picks in the draft. Carolina's terrible. Bears got their pick from from the um, from trading the number one pick last year, uh, last draft to Carolina. So they're going to have two really high picks, and they are going to draft a quarterback. They didn't draft one this past year because they 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 had faith that Fields was going to improve, but they're drafting one. In the 2024 draft, mark it down, book it, whether it's it's Caleb Williams at number one or it's somebody else at two, three, four, or five. They're drafting a quarterback. And I think Justin Fields is smart enough to probably know that. And now he's got to play to show the rest of the NFL that he's a capable quarterback. And, you know, maybe all this, this stuff isn't his fault. Maybe the Bears are just so dysfunctional and disastrous that it's just impossible to succeed there. Um, 
part of the disaster is this defense. I mean, this is probably the worst defensive team I've ever seen the Bears have. And it's really perplexing because, as I've stated, your head coach is a defensive coordinator by trade. So you'd think that he'd be able to do some scheming of things. And if you look at the last few drafts, the Bears have loaded up with defensive players. You know, last year they draft Kyler Gordon, corner. They draft Jaquan Brisker, a safety. This year they draft another corner out of Miami. They drafted uh, um, Sewell, the linebacker out of Oregon. They had Sanborn last year come in as a rookie linebacker. They went out and they got uh, TJ Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds in free agency. Um, over you know a couple years ago, they had traded for Khalil Mack, and then they trade him away and get nothing. They have Roquan Smith. They trade him away. They get virtually nothing. And and just a note: the Bears have not won a football game since they traded Roquan Smith. So this isn't just a quarterback issue. This is an entire roster issue, and I think all of us Bear fans, myself included, we got a little caught up. In some of the offseason hype, I, I will be honest, you know, with with um, with what was perceived to be a pretty solid draft and what was perceived to be a pretty solid free agent period, I think people had hopes that this was a team that was going to go from three wins to, I don't know, maybe seven, maybe eight wins if things broke right. Um, I think this team's going to be lucky to get to three wins this year. And maybe, maybe... Maybe this is a part of the plan all along. Maybe, you know, maybe they were hoping that Justin Fields would pan out, but they know they're still in the midst of a massive rebuild with this roster. I, I don't know. Uh, but this game coming up on Sunday at home against Denver, and we'll we'll get to that when we get to the the, the week four matchups, but holy shit. I mean, if 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 the network was ever just gonna black out a game. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the one. I mean, I, I, I don't. I, I mean, does does anybody even? This game could be like forty nine to forty five, or it could be ten to three. I, either nobody can score or nobody can stop anybody in this game. But, whew, it's been a rough, dark eight nine days in Chicago. I mean, you've, you know, you just. Kansas City game, Fields' comments about the coaches, the D coordinator resigning, and apparently now it has come out he is under some kind of investigation for something that nobody wants, to, nobody seems to want to or be able to talk about. And then they got $100,000 of equipment stolen. So it's a tire fire in Chicago, and, and it's going to be a while. It's going to be a couple of years, I think, before – they get out of this if if they're even able to get out of it because they're the Bears and they just find ways to constantly screw this stuff up. All right, let's get into the week three results. Thursday night, uh, San Francisco uh, took care of the Giants quite easily, thirty to twelve. Uh, games on Sunday, Cleveland twenty-seven to three over Tennessee. Boy, that Cleveland defense is for real. Um, and Tennessee, man, I that's just. Up and down and up and down. It's just got eight and nine, nine and eight written all over them, kind of like they have been the last couple of years. As I mentioned, Detroit uh, took care of Atlanta at home, twenty to six. 
in a game that you kind of had to see it to believe it, Miami drops 70 on Denver. Now, if you're watching the ticker at the bottom and you see it come across like Miami 70, you're kind of expecting the second team to be like Austin P or Georgia State. Like, oh, the Hurricanes. Jesus, they really put a hurt in. No, this was the Dolphins and the Denver Broncos. And the Denver Broncos, a professional football team, gave up 70 points. That's incredible. Um, New England <laughs> barely beats, hangs on and beats the Jets 15 to 10. Buffalo looks like they are um, they're over that week one flop performance on Monday Night Football. They take care of the uh, Commanders 37 to 3. And then an interesting thing that I saw this week, um, obviously we all know the, the Commanders used to be the Redskins and they changed their name, I don't know, two years ago or whatever to appease a certain segment of the, let's just call it the white liberal population in this country. I saw an article today that there is a Native American group that is actively trying, I I think they're trying to sue either the Redskins, the NFL, or both over this name change. They want it to go back to the Redskins. Um, And this is one of those things where, you know, being offended is very subjective, right? And all along, I, I always felt, you know, all the people on TV pontificating about how bad this name was, they were all white or black people. I never saw any Native American people on ESPN or Fox Sports talk about how awful this was because, frankly, as weird as it seems and as uncomfortable as it might be, a lot of Native American people felt honored by that name and by that mascot. Um, I didn't know that the mascot on the side of the helmet was an actual Native American chief. And his tribe, his descendants, feel like that was a great honor to him. Um, So just, you know, I don't I don't know that I don't know that this is going to have any kind of legs and that that they're going to have enough pull to get it changed back. But it's just, man, this this country these days is wild and wacky. Um, Houston, 37, Jacksonville, 17. C.J. Stroud, um, the rookie out of Ohio State, appears to be the real deal. He, um, I think he's got over 900 passing yards already in three games. And uh, Jacksonville might be the team this year that everybody thought was going to be good that, that is just not very good. Trevor Lawrence has been bad. I thought, you know, getting Calvin Ridley would really, really help him. But, you know, 17 points against uh, Houston. They only scored nine the week before against Kansas City. They were losing in the fourth quarter to Indianapolis in in week one. This has not been a good start for the Jags at all. Um, Speaking of Indy, somehow they go into Baltimore and win in overtime 22-19. to that was a shocker. Um, what maybe probably the second biggest shocker of the weekend? Seattle thirty-seven, Carolina twenty-seven. Uh, Seattle, I I still like that team. I think their their defense is young. I think they have the potential to get better as the season goes along. And as long as as Lockett, Metcalf, and and Smith Jigba are, are healthy and out on the field for Geno, he's got some weapons. And uh, that team has shown in the last 
year plus, they they can put some points up. In what is maybe the you know right along with the Jets beating Buffalo in Week One, this is probably the upset of the season. Arizona twenty eight, Dallas sixteen. Um, Arizona scored more points and had more yards in this game than Dallas had given up the first two weeks combined. Now, granted, they played two rotten teams in the Jets and the Giants, so that was a little bit to be expected. But I think we all kind of felt Arizona was pretty rotten too. Uh, but the Cardinals play hard. They've been in all three games. You know, unfortunately for the Cowboys, um, they lose their all-pro corner digs uh, last, I think, last Thursday to an ACL tear in practice. I mean, this is one of the best corners in the league. He's, I think he led the NFL in interceptions last year. That is a massive, massive loss for that Cowboys defense. Uh, Sunday night. Pittsburgh 23, Raiders 18. Ugly game. Ugly offense. Um, Kenny Pickett does seem like he's slowly getting better. But, um, you know, that 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 Pittsburgh team is, is certainly built around their defense. Very cool to see Sunday night. Um, former Badger and Janesville native Keanu Benton get his first NFL sack. That was really cool. Uh, Monday night. Philadelphia 25, Tampa Bay 11. That's not too surprising. And then in another ugly game, Cincinnati 19 over the Rams 16. Cincinnati is still not right. Joe Burrow played. I don't think I would have played him. He still is not right. I think he, you know, he was around 240-ish yards. Um, just doesn't seem to be able to get the ball down the field with any zip on his on his passes, and obviously that's a function of the leg injury. So we'll have to monitor that going forward. So that's that's your week three results. We'll head into week four here as soon as I take a drink of water. All right. So, as I said, tonight, as you are probably going to hear this on Friday, this game will already be played, but you've got Detroit 2-1 and one at the Packers 2-1 and one on Thursday Night Football. This one feels to me like it's going to be a battle of the Lions. Not the Lions, but the Lions. Um, can the Packers block the Lion pass rush with their kind of patchwork offensive line? And can the Lions slow down this Packer defense that has been pretty damn good um, the first three years and... and Frankly, they've been somewhat dominant in spurts. I like the Packers at home in this one. Win or lose, I I, I don't think it's a huge uh, unless it's you know unless somebody blows the other one out. You know, I I think this is not going to be a huge deal going forward, other than the fact that you've got one up on on the other team in in the division. Uh, Sunday games. Atlanta two and one at Jacksonville one and two. That's that does not sound like a very appealing game to watch. Um, this is probably the game of the week. Miami three and zero at Buffalo two and one. And I think this is actually unfair to Buffalo. Um, Buffalo's chief advantage as a franchise is the climate and where they play. The NFL scheduling Miami to come to Buffalo when the weather's nice, that's a huge advantage for Miami. I, I just feel like that's one of those things where Miami shouldn't 
be going to Buffalo until after Thanksgiving. Um, I don't know. Just just my opinion. Just my opinion. Just one man's thoughts. Um, that will be a really fun game. That has the potential to be very high scoring. My this Miami offense. Whew, they they remind me. I know it's early. They kind of remind me of the '99 Rams, the greatest show on turf. This team is so fast. And, you know, that 99 Rams team, they were playing on a dome in on turf. These dudes are, this Miami team's playing outside and playing on grass for the most part. And Waddle and Tyreek Hill and Mostert and that, that kid that was the backup running back who came in and ran for 200 yards the other day, even Tua, like this team has got ridiculous speed all over the place. And if they were, if they're able to beat Buffalo in Buffalo, you get the road win and you'd be two up on them already through the first quarter of the season. That that's huge for the dolphins. Um, Owen three Denver to Owen three Chicago. I don't see any way the bears win this game. They can't force turnovers. They can't run the ball. Yes, Denver gave up 70, but I, and their defense is not good, but I don't think the Broncos are quite as bad as we've made them out to be. You know, they lost by one in week one to the Raiders. They probably should have won. They were up 21 to three in week two against the Commanders and completely collapsed in the second half. And then, obviously, you had the game the other day. I mean, this team's given up over 100 points in the last six quarters. The Bears just don't have the offensive firepower, I don't think, to exploit that. And, you know, Denver's got the better coach. Denver's got the better quarterback. I think this is going to be a tough one for the Bears to get. And if they don't get this, and if it's ugly, um, I'm not sure that everybody makes it through the week. The, well, the interesting thing is next Thursday, the Bears play Washington. If the Bears are 0-5 coming out of that Thursday night, going into a 10-day layoff, I, I, I just, I don't know how, I don't know how Eberflus would keep his job. Uh, Baltimore 2-1 at, at the Browns 2-1. This is going to be interesting. Cleveland's defense is for real. And Deshaun Watson, while he hasn't been great, He's still talented enough to make some plays as long as he doesn't throw the ball backwards like he did last week. Um, But I expect Baltimore to bounce back. I expect a big game out of Lamar. I think the Ravens will get this one. One and two Cincinnati at one and two Tennessee. Um, You know, another team in Tennessee. Pretty good defense. Bengals just don't look right. I I don't know. This one's a toss-up to me. Uh, One and two Rams at two and one Indianapolis. The Rams aren't bad. Rams aren't bad. If they went in and, and won this game, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Indianapolis could be three and one. I mean, wh- without Jonathan Taylor, um, with Anthony Richardson missing last week, I'm not sure if he's going to be back for this week or not. Might be another round of Gardner Minshew. But if that team can get through the first four weeks three and one with really their two top weapons barely being part of it. That would be pretty impressive. Uh, Tampa Bay two and one at the Saints two and one. Neither one of these teams is very good. One of them is going to be three and one and, and kind of in the driver's seat of that 
crap division in the NFC South, but, you know, Baker Mayfield against Jameis Winston, really? Who the hell wants to watch that? Washington 2-1 and one at Philly, 3-0. Um, and oh. I, I don't see any way Philadelphia doesn't win this game. Um, 2-1 and one Pittsburgh at 1-2 and two Houston. This is interesting because Stroud has been pretty good, but this will probably be the best defense he's faced to this point. And I don't know. I, I just, for some reason, I like Pittsburgh, and I've watched them this year, and they haven't given me a lot of reasons to like them. But it's 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 a little bit of that that same feeling you get with a team like the Packers where it's the infrastructure is so good and they stick to what they do kind of no matter what that it's hard to kind of knock them off balance and and uh I think I think Pittsburgh's going to going to come out on top of this one. Uh Vegas at the Chargers. I mean this is a this is a Raider home game. That three quarters of that Charger stadium is going to be full of people wearing the silver and black. Um Chargers lost Mike Williams to an ACL last week in the Viking game. Um that's that's going to be a tough one to overcome. I mean, Keenan Allen, I think he caught like 18 passes last week. That ain't going to happen again. They got to hope to get Austin Eckler back if they have any hopes of of winning this game. And let me just say that Viking Charger game last week was If you wanted to show a bunch of young football coaches what not to do, just show them that game. Uh, it was a disaster, both sides. Um, and the, the coup de grace was Chargers up four, about a minute 50 left on their own 27, fourth and one. Minnesota has no timeouts, and the Chargers go for it, don't get it, and give Minnesota the ball on their own 27, and all they got to do is score a touchdown to win. Now, Minnesota does what Minnesota does. They choked. Kirk Cousins throws a terrible interception in the end zone, and they lose the game, and and it, and it quote-unquote, works out for the Chargers. But, you know, Brandon Staley, their coach, goes into the press conference after the game and tries to justify that decision by, you know, citing analytics and citing the math and the numbers and all this and that. Listen, I get it. There are formulas that tell you in these situations it makes more sense to go for it. And even even in the Packer game, when, when they went for two, when the score was 17-9 to nine and they went for two to make it 17-11, it was kind of like, whoa, what, why would you do that? I get that there are reasons why they do that. The problem is the play call. And Justin Herbert was like 40 for 45 passing in that game. He's six foot five. Why would you run up the gut with a backup running back in that situation? It just doesn't make any sense. So I understand why you decided to go for it because some some math formula that some nerd cooked up told you that you should. But you gotta you you gotta call a better play, man. You gotta call a better play. That play Philadelphia runs with Jalen Hurts where basically they put 11 guys on the line, they snap the ball, and everybody just shoves Hurts in the back. It gets one yard every time. I don't understand. Why has every team in football not adopted that play? I don't understand. I've never seen it get stopped. I hate that it's a legal play. I think it needs to be rethought by um, 
by the NFL going into next year, I think that the idea that you can just shove people in the back like that to gain yardage is stupid. I mean, I told a buddy the other day, if you can do that, why the hell can't I stand on somebody's back on a field goal attempt and try to block the kick? What 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 the hell's the difference? Um but I think this is a this is a must win for the Chargers. New England one and two at Dallas two and one. Um I feel like Dallas is going to be really pissed off after losing that game to the Cardinals. And I think Dallas will win this one easily. Um, Cardinals one and two at the Niners three and zero. I think this is a this is a route. I think the Niners will, Niners will put it on them good. Sunday night game, unfortunately no Aaron Rodgers, uh, but the Jets will be hosting Kansas City. Um, the Jets signed Trevor Simeon this week to come in to be some Zach Wilson insurance. the The, the problem the Jets have with Zach Wilson, other than the fact that he isn't any good. If they bench him, they can never play him again. I I just don't I don't see a scenario. It's it's kind of like a couple years ago with the Bears with Trubisky. Once you bench a guy that you pick in the top three of the NFL draft at the quarterback position, once you bench them because you figure out they stink, they're done. They're at least done with your team. And then the Monday night game, Seattle two and one at the Giants one and two. Scary game for Seattle, but I just don't think the Giants are very good. And uh, I like the Seahawks in that one. So that's week four, about 35 minutes of NFL stuff. Um, Let's move on to a little college football. I'm not going to talk much about this. You know, I, I'm not a huge college football guy, as you all know. Uh, that's that's more of Goldberg's alley than mine. I just I just don't really care. Uh, but the Badgers did beat Purdue 38-17. to no surprise, the Badgers always beat Purdue. They've beat them like the last 20 times or something that they've played. Um, I thought they looked fine, you know, but it, it, it's just one of those games where it was it was a mismatch from the get-go. It'll be interesting this Saturday. They got Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers comes in at 3-1. and one. Traditionally not a great uh, program, but, you know, you never know. Well, that's that's pretty much it I got for, for college football. Short and sweet for you. So I, I did want to touch on this, though. A little college basketball action. So we in Wisconsin this year have one of the top recruits in the nation. He's a five-star kid, top 20 nationally. His name is Con. I think his last, I think you say it, Knapel. Um Six foot five, plays for Wisconsin Lutheran over in Milwaukee. Um, he was first team All State last year. He will uh, most likely be uh, the Player of the Year in the state this year, um, if if all goes well. Big time shooter, big time scorer, really kicked ass all summer long on the AAU circuit. Opened a lot of eyes. Um, the Badgers, Marquette, had both been heavily recruiting him. By all accounts, uh, the Badgers, Virginia, and Duke were his final three, and he announced the other day that he's going to Duke. And inevitably, that brings out all of the Greg Gard haters that want to take this opportunity to throw it in his face that he can't recruit, that he should be fired, that the Badger program's never going to be able to take a next step while he's there, blah, 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 blah. I just, I couldn't disagree more with that that take 
This has nothing to do with Greg Gard. This has nothing to do with his ability to recruit. He had been on this kid for multiple years. I think they were the first team to offer him a scholarship maybe after his sophomore year in high school. Um, by all accounts, from everything I've heard and read from from Con Knipple and Knipple and his family, the Badgers did everything right. They were very pleased. They had no qualms about him becoming a Badger. But as we all know, college sports now is less fair than it's ever been when it comes to recruiting, and it's because of this NIL money. And it kind of got me thinking, and I'd love to hear some people's responses to this because I haven't really talked to anybody else about it, but it's just it's something that's been on my mind, and then this, this latest thing with the Badgers kind of triggered it. Should we as fans know what these kids are getting financially in the NIL money? And the reason I ask that is my my best guess as to why Khan ends up at Duke over Wisconsin, part of it is pedigree. You know, Duke's Duke. They put a lot of guys into the NBA. Um, you know, they compete for Final Fours and national titles, maybe not every year anymore, but a lot of the time. So you got that going. But I have to imagine they were able to offer a substantially larger purse of money than Wisconsin was or 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 that Wisconsin is willing to and I think if we're going to as fans now hold the coaches feet to the fire when they lose a recruit especially an in-state kid like this that we all hope would stay home whether it's Wisconsin or Marquette I I just want I want the kids, I want the best kids that grow up in Wisconsin. I want them to play college basketball here. I, I, I just do. I think it helps. I think it grows the game locally. I think, it's, I think it's good for everybody when that happens. But if we're going to hold the coach's feet to the fire, I feel like we need to know all the information. And, you know, the counter argument to that is well, you know, it's an 18 year old kid and we really have no right to know how much he's getting paid and, you know, maybe not all the money is coming from the school. Maybe it's coming from a booster. I, I get all that. But but the problem with that is once you take money to play, you're a professional. You're no longer an amateur. All this stuff about the NCAA and amateur athletics, that, that's, that's bullshit. That stuff to me is, that's gone. You know, there's talk about Deion Sanders' kid, the quarterback for Colorado, next year if he comes back, potentially getting a million dollars from Nike. I think we need to know, did Duke give this kid two hundred fifty grand, and the Badgers were only offering seventy five, Because that matters. And listen, we know what all the coaches make. Why shouldn't we know what the players make? You know, oh, well, if, you know, if, if we say that Chucky Hepburn is making $50,000 this season and then he has a bad year, you know, that could give fans in the stadium a reason to, to give him shit. Listen, 
first of all, players don't hear 98% of the things that are yelled at them when they're on the court. That That's number one. And number two, hey, that's America, Jack. Everybody wants to know what everybody else is making, and then if you're making more than I am, I want to bitch about it. That's just the way, That's just the world that we live in. So I don't know why it should be any different for these kids. If they want to take the money, then you should have to take everything that comes with it. So just my thoughts on that. I may be completely in the minority. Like I said, I'd love to hear some responses from people, but that's just my position. All right, let's get into some baseball. So the Brewers, your Brewers, my Brewers, 89 and 69, Central Division champs, third time in six years. Um, unfortunately, they kind of backed in um, they, they, with a loss to the Cardinals on, on Monday night. It would have been, you know, it doesn't matter really in the big picture of things, but it's just kind of like I would have liked to have seen them win the game and then I'll run out on the field and celebrate. That that that's a little bit more fun, but to each his own. Um, over the weekend, they went one and two uh, at Miami, uh, lost the first game on Monday to the Cardinals, won last night, and are playing the finale of that series as we speak. And um, then they closed the season this weekend with uh, three games at home against the fading Chicago Cubs. So four total games left in the season uh, before we get to the playoffs next week. Um, not not a not a ton really to to get into with the Brewers today. Um, I mean, Sal Fralick continues to be a revelation. This dude is going to win a Gold Glove someday. Phenomenal outfielder. Um, he made a throw Monday night in that Cardinal game from right field to get a guy tagging, uh, going to third base. It was it 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 was Ichiro Bo Jackson level throw, Vladimir Guerrero level throw. Now I'm not saying he has that kind of an arm, but it looked like that kind of a play, and uh, really really impressive stuff from him out, out in the field. Um, Garrett Mitchell is 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 back, I guess. Um, played played a handful of games at AAA, is back with the team. Don't know whether or not he's going to make the postseason roster. If he does, Craig Council basically came out and already said, you know, it, he, it's going to be light duty for Garrett. And I think that's the right way to approach it. Um, you know, it's hard, it's hard for a guy who hasn't played in six months to just all of a sudden throw him out in a playoff game and expect him to, to have much success, especially a young guy who doesn't have a ton of at bats under his belt anyway, but good to see him at least back and healthy and hopefully in the dugout able to, to experience that with his teammates. Um, it also sounds like Brian Anderson is not going to make the postseason roster. Um, I mean, you kind of forget like what? Where the hell is Brian Anderson and Jesse Winker been? Like those were two guys that were counted on at the beginning of the year to be huge pieces of this team to help them make the playoffs. Those guys haven't even been heard about in like the last three months, which you know is kind of amazing. Um, you know, and listen, I, I've I've been critical of the Brewers and the way they do things over the last couple of years, um, but. You know, you have to give the front office a lot of credit. 
Matt Arnold, the the general manager. I mean, pretty pretty much every button he's pushed this year has been correct. Um, you know the 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 Owen Miller signing, which people forget, he was their best player in May. I think he hit about three fifty in the month of May. Hasn't done anything since, but he was a huge part of keeping that team afloat when they were struggling offensively. Um, when he traded for Mark Canna and Carlos Santana, um, to say I was underwhelmed would be an understatement. And both of those guys have been fantastic since coming to the Brewers. And bringing up Monasterio, trading away Urias, and and opening up the 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 everyday second base spot for Bryce Terang. Everything they've done this year has worked out well. So hopefully they can keep their mojo going into the playoffs. Um, you got Burns going today. I would assume Woodruff tomorrow. Not sure what they'll do in the uh, in the final game of the regular season, whether Freddie will pitch or if they have like a, like a bullpen game or something. But the rotation should be lined up perfectly for Burns, Woodruff, Peralta to go one, two, three in the wild card round if 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 need be. Hopefully you can you can go, you know, Burns Woodruff, bang bang, win the series, and then uh hope you know you can shuffle the deck accordingly going into the division series against uh what will most likely I think well, I think it's I think it's guaranteed to be the Dodgers. Um so we'll see. We're we're in for a fun couple of weeks. The offense still scares me. They've they've been not good here the last couple of days. You know, they had the 16-run explosion in the first game against the Marlins, and they've really struggled the last four or five days. So be nice if in this Cubs series they can get the bats going a little bit. So, all right, let's get into uh, the standings here. Um, AL, Baltimore has clinched a playoff spot. They have not clinched the division yet, but they are two and a half games up on Tampa. Minnesota has clinched the Central, and Texas is two and a half games up in the West right now on Houston. Uh, Wild card, Tampa Bay has clinched a playoff spot. Most likely, Baltimore is going to win that division, so Tampa will be the number one wild card. Toronto right now sitting in the second spot, a half game ahead of Houston. And Seattle is uh, is trailing Houston by a game and a half. They have played the last two days, and Houston has won both of those, unfortunately. I was really hoping to see uh, Seattle get in and Houston get knocked out. I don't I don't think there's a lot of casual baseball fans these days that are big big fans of the Houston Astros. Um, in the NL, all three divisions are sewed up: Braves, Dodgers, and Brewers. Uh, Philadelphia clinched the top wild card spot the other night. Uh, right now, Arizona is in the two spot, um, two games up on uh, the Marlins and the Cubs, who are tied for that last wild card spot. Cincinnati, a game and a half behind those two teams. They'd have to get a lot of help and, and things for, for them to sneak in. I mean, this Cubs collapse the last couple of nights, up six to nothing at Atlanta. Suzuki drops a fly ball, they lose the game. Um, they blew three leads last night to Atlanta to lose the game, and um, I'm 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 curious to see how the Brewers approach these last three games. I hope they play to win. I hope you know. Listen, 
if you want to give Yelich a game off, you want to give Contreras Adamas, you want to sit those guys a game, you, you don't want to play them the last game of the regular season, I totally get that. But I hope that at least tomorrow, Friday and Saturday, that the Brewers come out with the intention of knocking the Cubs out of the playoffs. Because as I stated before, I do not want to see a bunch of dumbass Cub fans at American Family Field next week for that wild card scenario. And I know the Brewers don't either. And the la- if, if the Brewers are to lose the wild card to the, to the Marlins, so be it. It would be devastating if they lost at home in a wild card round to the Cubs. So, um, sorry, Cub fans, but I am waiting with bated breath at your demise this weekend. And let me just say, man, I think this is the worst Cardinals team I've ever seen. They look like, they look like the, I don't know, who, who's the worst team in the National? The, the Rockies. They're throwing the ball all over the field. Their pitching is a mess. I mean, you've got a couple guys in Goldschmidt and Arenado who are who are all-star caliber players, but what the hell happened down there? I mean, they, talk about falling off a cliff fast. Um, woo. But I tell you what, I ain't going to shed no tears. That's for damn sure. All right, well, now that we got all the riffraff out of the way, Let's get to the main course, and that's the NBA. And, you know, when when Josh and I decided we were going to do this podcast a couple of years ago, one of the things that we didn't want to do was we, we didn't want to be hot take guy and, you know, where you just say shit weekly and then you just, completely forget about what you said the week before and say something else crazy the next week. Uh, We both kind of believe in context and accountability with, with our takes and our opinions and the things that we say. Sometimes we're wrong. I picked Minnesota Vikings to win the North. They suck. I was dead ass wrong. But when we're right, it feels kind of good to be right. And Last week, I talked about a possible Damian Lillard to the Bucks trade. And holy shit, it happened. About 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon, my phone was sitting on my desk at work, and I had about 30 text messages in three minutes <laughs> from, from about everybody I know that's a sports fan. And uh, most of them were excited to hear my opinion on it. But, you know, I told them, hey, man, you got to tune into the intentional foul to hear everything. <laughs> I joke, kind of. But um, this, is, uh, this is big. That's an understatement. Um, this is the biggest Bucks trade since 1970 when they traded for Oscar Robertson. Um, you might say, what do you mean? They, they traded for Drew Holiday three years ago and they won the title. That's true. But Damian Lillard is a top 75 all-time player. Damian Lillard is a first ballot shoe-in Hall of Famer. I love Drew. Uh, but 
Drew is not those things. And we're we're going to get into the whole ball of wax here on what it means for the Bucks, what it means for Giannis, what it means for Holiday. But just understand, this is franchise-altering um, and will most certainly be the best player that Giannis will ever play with, certainly the best player that Damian Lillard will ever play with. And... Um, it's exciting. It's exciting. So let's get into this here. Um, the trade is Damian Lillard goes to Milwaukee. Portland gets Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, and uh, uh, 2028 first-round pick from the Bucks or 2029 first-round pick from the Bucks, and a opportunity to swap picks in 28 and 30. Um, the Phoenix Suns get Grayson Allen, um, and, and New, uh, Nurkic from Portland and a couple of other minor pieces to kind of help with their depth. But the main guts of the trade is Aiton goes to Portland, Holiday goes to Portland, Dame goes to the Bucks, and the Suns get some pieces. Um, interestingly enough... I saw it today from uh, Adrian Wojnarowski on ESPN. He says that Giannis had no direct involvement in this trade, which I'm not sure I totally buy that, but his his reasoning was sound. Um, the Bucks front office and John Horst felt like they didn't want to really put Giannis in the position of having to either okay or veto the trade because of his relationship with Drew Holiday. And those two guys are very close. Obviously, they won a title together. Um, I don't think they wanted to put it on Giannis that he was the decision maker in shipping Drew out of town. And I also don't think they wanted to put it on Giannis that he was the decision maker to keep Drew here if things go south in the next couple of years. Um, you know what? So what? What does this all mean going forward for the Bucks? Well, I had, prior to the trade, I had, I had believed that they had a two-year championship window. Um, you got Brooke under contract for two years, Middleton uh, two years plus an option in the third year, Drew Holiday for one more year, and Giannis for two more years. Um, I don't know that the, this trade changes that. Um, Lillard will be under contract for four more years, but I don't think that that should tell you that the Bucks now have a four-year championship window because you have to factor in Brooke Lopez is probably not going to be back after this two-year contract. Middleton is probably not going to be back after the next two years. And you know we're in a we're in a wait and see mode with Giannis. Um, Giannis is extension eligible right now through the end of October. I think like he can get a three year hundred and eighty five million or so extension. I do. I I still don't think he's going to sign. And financially, it doesn't make sense. It makes more sense for him to wait till next year 
to re-sign because he can sign for more years and more money. So there's that. Um, the financial implications of this are are interesting. One of the reasons that I believe the Bucks made this trade was Drew is eligible to be extended in the spring. So the Bucks were going to have to make a decision. Do we want to give Drew Holiday, who's a really good player, but he's not a superstar, do we want to give him $200 million over the next four years when he's going to be 35, 36, 37 years old? And what he is good at, which is being a physical defender, is probably going to start ticking down as opposed to going up. And I think when you look at Lillard, his skill set is on the offensive end and his ability to shoot the basketball, that's not going to go away anytime soon. So I think long-term looking out, you're more... I think Lillard's got about $220 million over the next four years. It's a shitload of money. It's... I think his last year he's going to be making over $60 million. It's a ton. But I think you're more palatable to spend 50 to 60 on Lillard at age 36, 37 than you would be with Drew. So there's that. Then you got to talk about the draft implications. Um, the Bucks don't really basically have a first-round pick for the rest of the decade. And if Giannis resigns, I'm fine with it. They still owe the Pelicans the 2024 first rounder. They can swap in 25. They owe them in 26. They owe them in 27. That's all part of the holiday trade. And I'm fine with that. It got you a title. You're still going to be a contender. That's going to be a bottom five pick in the first round, it's not a huge deal. Where it starts to become a little bit more questionable is in 28, 29, and 30. Obviously, if Giannis leaves, you figure the Bucs take a massive step back. Those could be lottery picks. I do think there are some protections on them. You know, if the Bucs were to get a top two or three pick, I think they would get to keep it. Um, But we'll wait and see. But, you know, sending out those draft picks is just not that big a deal to me. You know, the draft is such a crapshoot. We see guys and and teams miss all the time. I'm not that that concerned about it. And then the last thing going forward that I haven't really heard anybody talk about, but I I think it's something real. Um, If Giannis decides to leave in two years, if the Bucs don't win the title this year and they don't win the title next year and this just doesn't work, and Giannis decides, hey, I'm leaving. You could still flip Damian Lillard in two years for maybe not a huge haul, but you could get some stuff back because if you look around the league, we've seen Chris Paul get traded like three times after age 34. He got traded from Houston to the Oklahoma City, and he got traded from Oklahoma City to Phoenix, and he got then this summer he got traded from Phoenix to Washington for Bradley Beal, and then he got traded from Washington to Golden State. So, and he's making a lot of money. 
So there's still an opportunity if this doesn't work that it doesn't completely hamstring the Bucks down the road because Damian Lillard is still a great going to be a maybe not a great player in three or four years, but he's still going to be a very good player. So there is an opportunity to potentially get out of that if need be. So that all being said, let's talk about what this really means as far as basketball goes. This is really what we care about, right? So right now, if you're looking at the roster, the the starting five today, I'm, I'm guessing here, you've got Lillard at the point. I think you're probably going to see Malik Beasley, who they signed, is going to be your two. Middleton at the three, Giannis four, Lopez five. Portis, Connaughton, Jay Crowder, Robin Lopez, Bochamp, A.J. Green, all coming off the bench. Right now, the Bucks are very, very thin at the guard position. They've really got Dame, Beasley, and Connaughton. None of those three guys are known for defense. Um, and it's just not a lot of depth. I mean... You've, you've got a small margin for error. If, if Lillard doesn't play for a couple games, he gets banged up or something, there's just not a lot to pull from there if you're the Bucks. Now, I did see this morning um, there is some interest with Cameron Payne, who Buck fans will remember from uh, the finals a couple of years ago. He backed up Chris Paul on that Suns team. You know, not, not, not a great player, but at least a guy who has played in big games and has had some moments, and you can trust him. Um, there's going to be some some lower end guys, some some veteran guys that they may be able to go out and get. You know, kind of in the George Hill mode. I certainly don't want it to be George Hill, but somebody like a George Hill. They're also a little thin up front. Um, you've got the Lopez brothers, you've got Giannis, you've got Portis. I'd kind of like one more guy, and I can't believe I'm saying this. I might take a flyer on Dwight Howard. He played overseas last year. He's still only like 34, 35. Um, He went in for a workout with Golden State last week. They decided to not sign him. Um, I haven't heard why, but, you know, for a couple million bucks, veteran veteran minimum, um, a guy that, could never make free throws and was never much of an offensive player, but was a is is an all time defender. And with the lack of perimeter defense, it appears the Bucks are probably going to have this year. That back line of the Lopez's and Giannis is going to be more important than ever. And you know, just an extra body down there like a Dwight Howard would be be very interesting. Um, but because we have a new coach in Adrian Griffin. We don't really know how this team is going to play. Um, I think they're going to look a lot different than they looked under Budenholzer. I, I kind of compare it to uh, the Badger football team with, with Fickle coming in uh, versus what um, Paul Christ and Bielema and Alvarez have done over the years. It, it's going to look different. I don't think it's going to look great early on, but... I think it's going to be a radically different feel of this team than what we've seen the past couple years. 
And offensively, the Bucks have the potential to be one of the top three or four offenses in basketball. Um, with Damian Lillard on the floor, with Giannis, Lopez, and Middleton, and you know, let let's let's say Jay Crowder, there's going to be a lot of space to operate. And Damian Lillard is a better shooter than Holiday. He's better at getting to the rim than Holiday. He's better in the mid range than Holiday. He has deeper range than Holiday. Um, I think he's a better creator off the dribble than Holiday was. You know, it's 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 one of those things that a lot of a lot of fans don't understand this, but people that have played or coached, they we do understand this. The Steph Curry effect, the 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 real effect that he has had on his teammates in Golden State is not that he's a great shooter, but it's because he's a great shooter from like four feet behind the line. And Damian Lillard is probably the second greatest shooter of all time from four or five feet behind the line. And what that does is it it, it's, it creates a half step more space. So the guy that's guarding Middleton on the wing he has to give a half space, half step more help to the ball side with Lillard and Giannis if they're running a pick and roll or if, or if Lillard's an ISO. It gives your shooters like a Crowder or, or a Griffin or a Lopez or a Middleton, it gives you just a split second longer to get that shot off. And at this level, that's all these guys need. When the Bucks won the title in 2021, the bread and butter play throughout the playoff run was side pick and roll, Giannis is the screener, Middleton is the ball handler. What we've seen the last two years as Middleton has dealt with injuries, they've kind of had to go away from that. And it became Drew and Giannis. And Drew's just, as much as we all love Drew, Drew's just not the offensive player Middleton is, and that hurt the Bucks a lot in the playoffs, and it really, really hurt them in fourth quarters. That's over. Damian Lillard now is your fourth quarter closer. He's one of the most clutch players that we've seen in the NBA in the last decade. He is a big shot taker and a big shot maker, and that Giannis Lillard high pick and roll where if you switch, you've got Lillard 30 feet from the basket dancing with the other team's center. If they don't switch, you've got him with the ability to pop a three or get to the basket. Or you've got Giannis rolling hard to the rim for a lob. Or you're going to have a Middleton or a Lopez probably standing pretty wide open on the wing for a catch-and-shoot three. So I think offensively, this is going to be extremely entertaining. Um, Damian Lillard averaged 32 points a game last year. 32 points a game. There hasn't been a lot of guys in the history of the NBA that have averaged 32 points a game for a season. Giannis averaged 30. Um, I don't think either one of them will 
average 30 this year, and I hope that they don't. I think they would be better served to be, you know, Giannis maybe around 27, 28, Dame around 25, 24, Middleton in that 17, 18 range. Uh, but but much more balance throughout the roster as opposed to it had to be Giannis had to get thirty, Middleton had to get twenty five, Drew had to get twenty, or you weren't gonna win. I think this gives you more flexibility because as we've seen, Dame can get fifty. He can get forty. We've seen Middleton can get forty in a finals game. Everybody knows Giannis can get his. So offensively, the Bucks upgraded. Defensively, they downgraded. There's no sugarcoating it. Damian Lillard is not a good defensive player. Never has been, never will be. He's small. Um, Drew Holiday is one of the greatest defensive guards in NBA history. They are going to miss him a lot. But again, it goes back to how is this team going to play? What we saw under Budenholzer a lot was an emphasis on drop coverage on the pick and roll and protecting the rim and giving up three-pointers, and in the last two playoffs against Boston in 22 and last year against Miami, that killed them. And as awesome as Drew Holiday is defensively, he could not stop Jason Tatum two years ago, and he could not stop Jimmy Butler last year. So I think the Bucs are, are looking at this going, well, we're still we're still going to give up 110 points. But if we bring in Lillard, we can score now 120 with our eyes closed. And the way the league is going now with more and more and more reliance on the three-point shot and scoring, I, I think that's probably one of the main reasons that they were comfortable in doing this deal. Um and again, you know, the fourth quarter efficiency for the Bucks, and we've seen it. We saw it during the championship run. We saw it before Drew got there. We saw it with Drew. This team got very, very bogged down in the fourth quarter. It became very difficult for them to be able to run their offense effectively and get quality shots. Part of that is because Giannis's inability to consistently make jump shots caused there to not be a lot of space for Drew and Middleton to operate. Damian Lillard changes all of that. He's going to take a very, very heavy burden off of Giannis and a very, very heavy burden off of Middleton. I think that Giannis potentially could be, again, a defensive player of the year candidate because I think he's going to have more responsibility on that end of the floor. And I think he's going to have more energy late in games on the end of that floor, and that's going to be huge for the Bucs. Um, but I don't think this team is done. I think they're done for right now, but I don't think this is going to be the Bucks roster as we get late into the season. Um, there's going to be guys on the buyout market later on that might be available. There's going to be some small trade opportunities around the deadline that are going to be available. Um, and it's not going to be any kind of a star. It it might be a Javon Carter type of signing like they did a couple years ago. Um, it might be a Serge Ibaka kind of trade, even though that was a disaster and it didn't work out. 
a veteran guy who can come in and you can throw him in a playoff game for 10, 12 minutes and you know that they're not going to shit their pants. They still need help defensively on the perimeter. I mean, Jay Crowder was pretty bad last year when he was on the Bucks. He didn't play a ton, but when he did play, he wasn't that great. And he missed most of the season. Maybe all of that rest will will be good for him going into this season, but there's still a lot of questions night in and night out of whether or not the Bucks are going to be able to stop the other team's guards or at least put up some kind of resistance because the last thing you want is teams licking their lips every time they play Milwaukee thinking they can get downhill into the paint and all of a sudden you got guys like Giannis and Lopez in constant foul trouble. That That's not a good thing either. Uh, but much like the Brewers in giving their front office credit, I think you got to give this front office a ton of credit. They heard what Giannis said a couple of weeks ago. They looked around the league and they thought, we can't let Damian Lillard end up in Miami. Um, and if we want to keep Giannis, the only way we're going to get another superstar is to trade one of our all-star caliber guys to get him. And and that's what they did. And I'm I I I don't love the trade, and that's kind of my heart talking because I, I'm such a Drew Holiday fan. I just I I love everything that he does out on the floor. I love everything that he brings night in and night out. That dude is a dog. But Damian Lillard is a superstar. And the opportunity for a team like the Bucks to get a superstar outside of drafting them like Giannis is slim to none. And when the opportunity presents itself like it did yesterday, you got to pull the trigger, and they did. The last thing is um, the Drew piece of this and, and how it affects the rest of the NBA. Drew Holiday is not staying in Portland, folks. He's going to get flipped. And where he gets flipped could change the balance of power in the Eastern Conference. Um, It has been reported that there are four teams currently in the mix for Holiday. They are the Miami Heat, the Boston Celtics, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, I think you can probably throw Dallas, New York, and Brooklyn in there as well. Um, as teams that that might be a good fit, but let's just stick with the top four. Obviously, you'd hate to see Drew end up in Miami. Um, Miami could present a similar package to Portland that they did for Dame, but probably don't have to give up quite as much to get Drew than they would have to get Dame. Now, I'm you know whether or not that relationship between Miami and Portland has soured after. This this Lillard deal not getting done, who knows? But that would suck to have to see Drew Holiday and Jimmy Butler in a playoff series. Um, it would suck if he goes to Boston. But in order for that trade to happen, Boston would probably have to trade either Brogdon or Derek White and probably Robert Williams to make that money work. Um which on paper I think it looks pretty good. If you've got a back, you know, let's say it's Brogdon. Let's say Boston can trot out 
Derek White, Drew Holiday, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Al Horford. That's a really, really good five. But they lost Marcus Smart, who did as good a job as a small man can do on Giannis. He frustrated him. They lost Grant Williams, who did a pretty admirable job on Giannis when he had to guard him. And Robert Williams, who's basically like a Giannis clone, he's just not as good, he's done a very good job on Giannis as well. You know who hasn't done a good job on Giannis? Chris Stapps Porzingis. And that is the other Boston big man other than Al Horford. And I think if that was the case, the Bucks would have an opportunity to feast on the interior with Lopez and Giannis. Take some lumps out on the perimeter, but... I still like that matchup. Philadelphia, I mean, I, I don't know. They would. I would imagine the Sixers would have to trade Harden for him, and I don't know why Portland would want James Harden because then you're in the same situation that you were that you're currently in with Drew Holiday, where you're going to try to flip him. And I, I just, I just don't know why Portland would want to put themselves through that. And listen. Drew Holiday, Tyrese Maxey, and Embiid, I, I don't think that's winning the East. If he went to the Clippers, and you put him out there with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, that's the best defensive team in basketball easily. Easily. That, that would be very, very interesting, and that's kind of what I hope happens. I'd, I'd really like Drew to stay out West. I just don't want to see him in a playoff series. I... I have a feeling that it would come back to burn the Bucks. I I hate to say that, um, but that's just my feeling. So, um, media day is Monday. Training camp for the Bucks opens Tuesday, and their first preseason game is a week from Sunday, October eighth. So we're here, folks. The NBA season starts this week. I cannot wait. Till media day on Monday to um, listen to some of the comments that uh, John Horst has, that Giannis has, that Middleton has, that and certainly that Damian Lillard has. Um, I don't know if the Bucks are going to win the title. They're favored right now in Vegas after this trade. I do think it is finals or bust for them over the next two years. But, you know, whether you win a title, you, you got to catch a lot of breaks. A lot of things got to go right for you. But um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun, and I hope uh, I hope everybody sits back and, and enjoys it. So, all right, um, yeah, we're about an hour and 20 in. I think we're going to call it a day. We will uh, we'll save Remember That Guy. We'll have a, a, a new couple guys of that next week. We will... Um, We'll be at the quarter mark. Well, kind of the quarter mark. They got 17 games. We'll be after four games uh, going into next week. We'll be at the quarter mark of the NFL season, so that'll be kind of fun to talk about. You, usually you can get a pretty good idea of who's, who, at least who stinks. I don't know if we'll know who's a contender after four weeks, but we'll know for sure who stinks and who's done and who needs to start thinking about the draft. Unfortunately, we all know that that will be my team, the Bears. But, um, hey, listen, I, I appreciate everybody tuning in, sticking with me while I'm while I'm ro- rolling solo. I did get 
Um, some some nice feedback from some folks that have in, have enjoyed this. I sincerely appreciate that. Um, probably going to be doing a few more solo ones as we go along here, but uh, we'll do our best to keep you entertained. So uh, until next time, I'm Dan. This has been another episode of the Intentional Foul. Enjoy uh, some preseason Bucks talk next week and uh, Brewer playoffs. Let's go Brewers!